Hello and welcome to Simcast, the higher education simulation podcast. My name is Tony Jeremy. I'm the academic lead for simulation-based education at UEA Norwich. Hi, everybody. My name's Lawrence Hill, and I'm the chair of the simulation group in the School of Health Sciences at UEA Norwich. Very warm welcome to this special edition of Simcast. Yeah, excellent. So the next six episodes are going to be the online content that we provide for our simulation instructors course that we run here at UEA Norwich. Isn't that right, Lawrence? Absolutely right. Yeah, this is video one or part one, uh, and it's going to be called, it is called, What is Simulation-Based Education? So these videos, what do they give you? They give us really the required theory to understand the fundamentals that you need to be a good simulation educator. But we also think they're really, really useful for students and learners who are taking part in, in simulation so they can get to understand a little bit about what simulation is. Yeah, definitely. We think this is, we hope anyway, at least, that these videos are going to be as relevant to students as they are to facilitators of simulation. And if you are an educator or someone involved in delivering simulation, to get the most out of this series, we also recommend that you sign up and attend our one-day course on how to become a simulation instructor. Yeah, it's a one-day face-to-face course, which is informed by the theory we give in these online lectures, uh, kind of information, uh, and lets people integrate some of the theory with some practical workshops and some how to do effective skills tuition and how to facilitate simulation effectively. Great. So if you enjoyed the video, give us a like and stick a comment below. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel and check that notification bell to keep up to date with all things Sim and the rest of the series. Yeah, never been so important to subscribe to the podcast. If you you do think that this course is going to be relevant to you, do please subscribe because the next five episodes after this one are going to also cover fundamentals of simulation delivery. Great. Let's dive in then. Right. So we're going to start with some learning outcomes, aren't we? So by the end of this video, you should be able to meet the following intended learning outcomes to define simulation-based education, to describe the common simulation modality, and to explain the simulation-based education process. So, Tony, what is simulation? Well, it's a really good question. And I think when lots of people think about simulation, particularly with healthcare simulation, they think straight away of the really high fancy patient simulator mannequins you have to have like a lots of technology involved and and really importantly simulation is more about the technique of delivering simulation as a as an educational mode of delivery than it is around the technology that we use. Completely agree with that. Yeah, so often when you talk about simulation people see the the mannequin grimace, don't they? And they think that's yeah. simulation. Yeah, but it's not. It's not it's about a technique not a technology. And so what we're trying to do and and to sort of steal a really really nice quote from david gabber and this is sort of a sort of a, a, a seminal piece of of text is it simulation is a technique not a technology to replace or amplify real experiences with guided experiences often immersive in nature that evoke or replicate substantial aspects of the real world in a fully interactive fashion yeah absolutely so that's a pretty pretty inclusive definition of what we yeah. do in simulation So as educators, what we're trying to do is work with the learners, with the students to suspend disbelief for a little while, because in reality, everyone knows simulation isn't real. Mm -hmm. But what we're trying to do is develop what we call a fiction contract so that we can get the most out of the learning experience with with our learners. Yeah, definitely. And 
that requires quite a sophisticated set of skills and it requires paying close attention to making sure that the planning is right, but also thinking about the simulation structure itself in terms yeah. of briefing, simulation phase and debriefing. And we're going to come into all of that in this episode. And we're obviously talking about healthcare, but we're not the only people that use simulation, are we? There are other industries that use simulation really, really effectively, particularly industries where there's high risk or, mm. or the potential for something going drastically wrong. So we, we've got, for example, aviation, you know, pilots going to flight simulators, that's essentially simulation. We've got Nuclear power does yep. a lot of simulation. The military uses simulation yeah, they exercises. Just call, they just call it exercises yeah. or manoeuvres, don't they? But essentially it's the same thing. Yeah, so it's about creating that representation of real life, but then crucially having that ability to then think about it and to reflect on it and to discuss it in a really constructive way that, that facilitates learning. Great. So let's take this moment now to just dive into a, just a little bit of learning theory on mm. how people learn through reflection and in experiences. Yeah. So I think it's, I think Kolb's experiential learning cycle is a really good model to start to think about how this works. And Kolb would suggest that any kind of experiential learning starts with some kind of concrete experience. And that is what the action phase of simulation is there to do, isn't it? Create that concrete experience, something to hang what you've learned off and then to do some element of reflection. With yeah, it. exactly. That reflective observation. What was it that happened? How did I feel about it? Was I confident? Was I competent in that situation? Yeah. Why and why not? So if you're a brand new learner or student to healthcare, for example, you might not have those concrete experiences in the real world because you're new to healthcare. Mm. And so simulation provides a nice vehicle to, to, again, amplify or replicate those experiences in more of a controlled fashion. But importantly, still in um, an interactive fashion. Yeah. So you get yeah. to sort of practice, use some of those cognitive muscles uh, to kind of get stuck in and to actually do stuff. And then we can then review and reflect on that. Um, and then crucially then revisit how it relates to the learning outcomes or yeah. the intended outcomes. And importantly, the, the further you go through your healthcare career, again, that might be as a year two or a year three student, or even when you've kind of qualified, Post -reg, yeah. you've have, you then have lots of actual concrete experiences in clinical practice to work alongside any simulation that you do as well. So you just kind of build up this bank of experiences and and it can produce some really powerful learning, can't yeah, it? Absolutely. And it's it's that clash of the simulated learning environment with the reflections on the real world, the real clinical world, where we can get this abstract conceptualization from. You know, how do the ideas and things that I felt and experienced in the simulation relate to the real world? And that that process of using your mind to put your experiences into the real world is really where simulation starts to come into its own. Because then you can then experiment either in your mind or in practice. Or uh, with more simulation. Or with more simulation. So that's that's just a little bit of the underpinning educational theory around simulation. Okay, so if I am a learner or a student or very, or, or let's say that I'm an educator thinking about planning simulation, where does simulation fit into how someone learns on a, on a healthcare course or a yeah, healthcare right. programme? Yeah, great question. It's really important that it does fit in. You know, that's the, that's the key, isn't it? We have to have constructive alignment. It has to mean, so the, the experiences that we have in simulation should be informed by the intended learning outcomes of where we are in our programme of study, no matter what that programme mm. of study is. And the experiences we have in simulation should be driven by those learning outcomes. So, you know, it has to be level specific. If you're, if you're a, you know, a post-registration, you know, master of surgery, this has got to be some kind of, you know, involved 
high-level surgical procedure. But if you're a first-year student, perhaps going into practice for the first time, it's got to be level appropriate for you then So it's too. really important that if we're doing simulation or clinical skills, it's at the level appropriate to that learner. Yeah. We're not setting people up to fail, are we? We're not trying to trip them up. Absolutely we're trying to make not. things sometimes challenging, but not impossible, so they're not a threat. You know, and sometimes we have to bear in mind that going straight into a sort of full-blown simulation of a kind of a real-life setting is not quite the, r- the right thing to do at first. We have to kind of make sure that there's appropriate underpinning theory okay. first. And then graduate that experience through different simulation modalities. Okay, so give people the theory first. Give them something to hang a practical experience off. Then normally what we would do, perhaps, particularly if we're aiming for something quite complex, like looking after a patient who Mm -hmm. might be unwell, Mm -hmm. we might look at single skills in isolation or part-task training, which we call. So practice the skill in isolation, build up some muscle memory, get good at that skill in isolation first. And then potentially combine lots of those skills together in what we would call a simulated patient scenario. Yeah, exactly that. So exactly as you described, taking the small pieces, the individual sort of islands of competence, and then developing them into some kind of coherent fiction that represents reality. And that is our simulation. Okay, great. And if we go even further, what we could do is then use something called full scale simulation, where we take multiple patients simultaneously and have a large scale event. And that's really, really good for looking at procedural problems and irregularities rather than just looking at like the clinical context of a patient. What happens in an emergency situation? What happens when you've got lots of patients all competing for the same staffing, that kind of thing? And we can pull all sorts of complex stuff out of simulation. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to give it a kind of a, a more of an abstract or real world kind of feel, you wouldn't put a junior chef in charge of of delivering a Christmas dinner for a hundred guests. Yeah, you know, you would you would make sure that anyone who was responsible for that kind of really complicated exercise to first have been able to peel the spuds, and then you know perhaps be able to prep some kind of meat to go in the oven, and then to maybe be able to do all of the you know the kind of basic cooking okay. before you go into the full kind of you know meal you know the whole thing basically together in one go that would be too much to ask and we would not want to put learners in the situation where they felt like yeah they had to cook a roast dinner for 100 people and as a, as a simulation educator and again this is something to just be aware of potentially as a learner as a student there is a risk reward thing here isn't there but as as we build up the complexities we go from teaching a skill into isolation to full to full scale simulation it gets trickier it gets harder and there's a potential for more and more things to go wrong The realism also goes up, which is quite good, but things can go off piste, they can go wrong, and it's just something to be aware of, isn't it? And it's it's in there, I think, that often learners feel as if they're getting things wrong. Mm. As things get more complicated, naturally, the, the, the nature of complex practice is that things don't always happen as intended. And our job as simulation educators is to make sure that we don't allow learners to blame themselves for things that happen in simulation. Particularly if it's our fault because we haven't put something together well as a simulation educator for whatever reason. And the art of the debrief is to recognise all of these little things that happen that maybe, you know, might happen in real life are learning experiences and they are categorically not opportunities to criticise and critique and pick fault with learners. If we make it complicated, we have to expect it to go a little bit wonky. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned the debrief. So let's look at the simulation structure now. Yes, let's do that. If we look at the basics in terms of if a learner turns up, what are they expecting 
as the, the kind of the face-to-face element of that content, we have three main elements, don't we? We have the briefing, we have the simulation event itself or the, 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 the simulation delivery model, and then we have a debriefing phase. And we'll put that on the screen to have a look at. And what you can see, what we've tried to emphasize here is that the debrief needs to be as long, if not longer, than the simulation event itself. And this is somewhere where perhaps junior simulation facilitators can trip up they tend to scrimp and save on the debrief and actually that's where the learning takes place yeah that's it's hugely important so so yeah the, the emphasis there on those two sections being of equivalent length is really important but also what's important is an adequate briefing yeah so if we look at the briefing so what sort of things can we look at here so it's really important at the briefing that we clearly set the learning objectives for whatever the simulation event or the whole simulation session is about. Mm-hmm. Nothing should really be a surprise. And what, what I mean by that is that what the, the learners are trying to get out of the session shouldn't be a surprise. I'm not saying that you have to give the game away in, in what this particular scenario does, because that might you, there might be an element of the learner needing to figure things out to progress yeah, the scenario. Sure. There might be an element of being re- you know, responsive and adaptable. That might be part of it. But you, you shouldn't have a learner turn up to a, an event and they do something completely unexpected because we are trying to make it as realistic as possible. That just doesn't work, does yeah. it? So learning objectives are the first step in establishing psychological safety. Um, Actually, there's a fantastic paper published in 2023, 12 tips for the pre-brief to promote psychological safety in simulation-based education. It's open access. You can literally just Google it. So we'll stick it in a a link below in the the description so you've got access to that. But thinking about the the, the kind of key messages in there are really, really key. You know, 12 steps in this pre-briefing. So, you know, it is a complex social endeavor simulation we need to give people adequate psychological and sociological preparation if we're going to expect them to undertake some kind of task like this so when we talk about psychological safety what we're basically saying is we're trying to provide a an environment for learning where students or learners don't feel threatened by the event that's taking place and it's really important because we're putting their clinical competency on the line essentially aren't we and they will automatically assume learners will often and i speak as someone who's done you know a good amount of simulation as a learner one assumes very readily that actually you're being evaluated and 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 that's why it's crucially important to set expectations you know to to assert the basic assumption um, the basic assumption in simulation that um, simulation that everyone participating in simulation is intelligent, capable, is going to do their best and wants to improve. Regardless, importantly, of outcome. So Regardless even if it goes outcome. wrong, yeah. we're all there to learn. So the briefing, crucially important. Yeah. And the last part of the briefing is going to be introducing the simulation event itself. Yeah. And uh, again, I like to do that with something like a, a structured handover to, again, try and develop best practice. Yeah. Okay, great. So the next step in uh, simulation is the simulation event itself, the kind of the the action phase, if you will. Yeah. So again, there's different ways to do this, and it depends a lot on how much time that you've got for the event itself, how many simulation scenarios you've got. But where possible, try and run things out in real time. So if we took, for example, a cardiac arrest scenario, advanced life support, they have two-minute cycles of, uh, of chest compressions between rhythm checks. It's really important that you do those two-minute cycles so that you don't kind of skew the reality and the fidelity too much. Yeah, there's, there's, there's other important reasons for not truncating time in that way because actually 
one might learn that actually I find doing two minutes of continuous chest compressions physically quite difficult. Most people do if they're doing them effectively, but can you sustain them for two minutes? And that might be a really important unintended learning outcome that you would miss if you scrimped on the, on the time. Yeah. Great. If we get it right, again, we said that we've, we'll develop a a fiction contract and, and in that moment, hopefully our learners will forget that they're in a simulation center uh, and actually they will get so engrossed with the simulation that it will feel real to them. And that, that as a simulation educator is when you know that you've done something really, really well in terms yep. of planning. Your sim. And, and you can you can incorporate actors and you can com- incorporate confederates. So people who are kind of playing a role, mm-hmm. uh, who are kind of not actively learning in the simulation. So but moving are- away from that shocked simulation yeah. mannequin again if you can use a real person you're going to get much more authentic experience and you'll you? learn more things about human interaction yeah. which is really important uh, it's important that we make sure that our simulation uh, scenarios are up to date that they're mm. accurate and that they're where possible peer-reviewed so yeah. that they uh, you know the quality is there yeah, you know, the information part of, of each simulation should be as up to date and relevant as possible but also not too much you don't want to be giving too much information in that yeah. in that simulation. It's got to be neat and constrained in order to make it kind of tidy and 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 I don't know, um, actually an experience, a coherent experience. Yeah. If you try and do too much, then that can be a bit detrimental. And one of the great things about simulation as well is because it's a controlled environment, we can, if we want to, pause things. Now, the old-fashioned approach to simulation was let things run in real time and don't interrupt it as a simulation instructor. But actually with things like gamification and stuff, the, the, the mindset set to that is, is shifting a little bit. So don't be afraid to pause things. If you can see that things are starting to unfold, they're unraveling, things are becoming particularly challenging for the learner, you might need to just pause things. And that's great because you can't do that in, in clinical practice, can you? You can't do that in, in clinical practice. If you, if you think that you might be doing that, um, it's probably best practice to introduce the idea that you might do that in the briefing. Yes. Uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah. you you might you have learners thinking like, oh, what, have course, yeah. what have I done? What have I done? So, but yeah, you know that, and then that kind of thing. Even if you do have to stop something because of a safety critical point, and you haven't mentioned it in the in the in the briefing, when you come to the debrief, you Cover absolutely yeah. can. Great. Let's move on to the debrief. That's mm. a nice segue. So the debrief often considered the most valuable aspect of simulation in terms of where learning really occurs, because what we're trying to do is facilitate a reflective conversation with our learners. Yeah, absolutely. I, increasingly, I almost think of the the action phase of simulation itself, just like the kind of, um, like the, like almost like a starter, you know, in the kind of meal that is this simulation based learning experience. It's, it's, it's an, imp- it's like a vehicle for concrete experience. Um, and actually when you talk to learners, um, often the majority of the learning outcomes are hit in the debrief, certainly hit in a kind of concrete way. Great. So what we can do in the debrief, we can go back to those learning outcomes that we will have covered in, in the briefing as well. Yep. And that helps to preview the conversation. Yeah. But what may well have happened during the simulation event as well is what we've done is uncovered some unintended learning outcomes. Yeah. So absolutely. what do we mean by that? So we set out with things that we wanted to achieve and we achieved a whole load of other stuff besides. And yeah. often those unintended outcomes, like I actually physically can't do CPR for two minutes. Yeah. Um I think I probably still can, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, that kind of unintended outcome is, is often some of the most profound elements for, for, for unpacking in the debrief. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, and we'll come back to debriefing later on in this course. Yeah. So we have developed 
at the uh, School of Health Sciences at UEA, our own debriefing model. We've covered that in a previous episode, so we'll pop a link to that. Yeah. And and but it's important that you explore the initial kind of reactions phase, and then we look go into an element of uh, or or review phase, an element of analysis mm. and then an element of growth from it as well and that's what we're trying to achieve with a debrief it's not just a conversation at the end of the simulation event to see how everyone did and how they're feeling it is a, a structured method of facilitating that reflective conversation that maps directly to Kolb's experiential mm. learning cycle yeah absolutely so the, the simulation-based education process is, is the whole shebang, isn't yes. it? It's, when we're talking about simulation, we're talking about briefing, simulation phase, and debrief, um, but also the bookends. Yeah, that's right. So what the learners probably don't see so much, but what the educators are furiously doing behind the scenes is all of the prep work beforehand, mm. and then all of the evaluation and analysis afterwards to make sure that the simulation event is as optimal as it can be and that any lessons learned are then put in place for further revisions. Yeah, so that preparation work, and we're going to talk more in, a, in, in an upcoming uh, section of this course on planning simulation, but it's basically getting all of your ducks in a row, both in terms of the information, the equipment that you're going to be using, the, the surroundings, the simulation centre itself, and of course the team. Which brings us to the site model. Yeah, so simulation, when it's done well works really really well and i think we get the most out of our learners by using simulation as a as a kind of an educational delivery model mm. the problem is it's really complex when we when we start to pick it apart there's so many little working parts there's so many things that could potentially go wrong yeah we talked about risk and reward as an educator, it's far easier for me to stand at the front of a lecture theatre and deliver a seminar with some PowerPoint slides mm -hmm. than it is to put my neck on the line and deliver simulation. Yeah, Le learning in simulation has all of the hallmarks of a complex adaptive system. It's dynamic. So things happen in simulation that don't always happen. You know, it, it, it can't be predicted. It's interdependent and connected. It's connected to the wider curriculum and it's dependent on all of the pieces working effectively, the teamwork between the, the, the learners, having the right equipment and so on. Um, and it's also adaptive. So we have to be able to learn and develop the simulations in response to changes in the evidence base, but also in, on our reflections on how previous simulation events have gone. So it is a complex adaptive system. Um, so we have adapted a complex systems model yeah. to try and make it easier to explain. Yeah, so there, there are complex systems models out there. And again, we're looking at other high-risk industries. There's one in aviation called the Shell model, mm -hmm. and it's a little bit wordy. So we've actually adapted that to our own model called the Site model, yeah. which we're applying to simulation-based education. And what that stands for, the S is for surroundings, the I is for information, the T is for team or people, and the E is for equipment. Yeah, and we're going to come back to this in episode four of this um, special edition of SimCast when we yeah. talk about planning simulation, but we'll make reference probably to site yeah. um, throughout the rest of the video. So we wanted to introduce it here just so people know what we're talking yeah, about. It's, it's, for us, it's a nice model to help us understand all of the different working parts that is required to deliver good simulation. Mm. And also sometimes just how the edges don't meet up and it gets a little bit messy messy in, in the real world, yeah. uh, which is really important to understand as a simulation educator, but I think also as a learner. Very good. Okay, so I think it's probably about time to sort of summarise and round up uh, part one of our, of our uh, online sim instructors course. So I think the key take-home messages for me are this. Um, 
Simulation is a whole lot more than just simulation delivery. It's about integrating lots of competing and moving parts mm -hmm. to develop a coherent learning experience for learners. Yeah, in the whole curriculum as well. So it's not just the simulation instructors and the people delivering simulation. They need to work with wider curriculum teams. The learners need to understand where it fits into the curriculum. And, and a well-written curriculum will be quite transparent about how, how that takes place. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a complex adaptive system. So what have we covered then in terms of the intended learning outcomes? Well, hopefully by this point in this video, you should be able to define what simulation-based education is, describe the common simulation modalities, and explain the simulation-based education process. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we're looking forward to seeing you in the second part of our special series on the Simulation Instructors course online content. Yeah, if this video was useful to you and if you think you'd like to keep up with the rest of our Sim Instructors course, please do subscribe and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks very much. Thanks everyone. Bye bye.